have your Bibles, and I hope you do, why don't you turn to them, please, to Psalm 124. Psalm 124. Psalm 124. Today's lesson is entitled, If, Then, But, Therefore, the Lord is on our side. If, But, Then, Therefore, the Lord is on our side. But before we dive into that, where are we on our journey to joy? Uh, in our reading plans, you just completed reading this psalm five times last week, and you're headed into Psalm 125 if you're doing that option. If you're on the other option, then this week you're going to complete all 15 psalms of ascent for a second time. And uh, so that's where we are in that. But uh, as we move through these psalms, you can see there in your notes, Psalm 123 through 125 repeat the pattern that we already saw in the first three songs of Ascent. And it's this pattern of being stuck in a hostile place with uh, God. He's there, but... Uh, but he hasn't answered, and so you're lamenting. And then the second set of psalms is you're on your move with God's people, but there's hostile people around, and so you need God's help. So there's hurt, and then there's help, and then the third set is there's happiness in the presence of God. You've arrived at, in their case, the physical Jerusalem, in our case, the new Jerusalem. And I think it's important that these first six psalms Repeat this pattern, hurt, help, happiness, stuck, on the move, finally arriving, because that's kind of like our journey is, okay? There's ups and downs. There's basically a pattern. It isn't just straight up. You know, sometimes people think the Christian life, there you go. I don't know about you, but that's not my Christian life, okay? It's like this, but hopefully it's always heading up always heading up, but there's always going to be valleys. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be need for help. But along the way, there's some mountaintop of happiness that points us to the ultimate happiness of our final destination. So let's look at an overview. And if you notice, in Psalm 120, it was slander from hostile people. And then in Psalm 123, it was scorn from them, uh, from hostile people. In Psalm 121, the Lord is by our side to help. And what we're going to see today is the Lord is on our side. He's not just there by us, but he is actually on our side. And so here's an overview of Psalm 124 before we read it. Uh, it's there in your notes. A declaration of total dependence on the Lord for total deliverance from total destruction. Okay, three totals in there. Okay, we're not talking about partial dependence. We're not talking about partial deliverance. We're not talking about partial destruction. We're talking about massive. And so it breaks up into two parts. Psalm uh, verses 1 through 5, a declaration of total deliverance. And here's where the if, then, but, therefore. In the first five verses, it goes, If the Lord had not been on our side, then we would have been totally destroyed. If not then what? Total destruction. And then in verses 6 through 8, we're going to see a, to a declaration of total dependency. But the Lord did deliver us. He is on our side. Therefore, we declare total dependence on Him. All right? And so that's kind of the idea. Well, let's read Psalm 124. So uh, pay attention there in your Bibles. Let's look at it. Let's read it. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, 
Let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. If not, then what? Total destruction. Verse 6. Blessed. And, and the but is not in there, but it's there. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Therefore, here's the therefore, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If not, if not, then what? But therefore, the Lord is on our side. So let's break it down. Let's look at two aspects of that. And as you move through this, this psalm, this psalm is like a summer. You were in the summer, summer blockbuster movie. You know, summer blockbuster movies. Uh, often have uh, wild monsters, right? And so we got a wild monster in here. They're often involved natural disasters. I grew up in the in the 70s when the disaster film genre, you know, and so we got a massive flood in here. Uh, thriller movies often involve some sort of wild animal on steroids that's tearing people apart. We've got that in this psalm. And thrillers often move around the idea that people are trapped and they cannot escape, but they must escape. How are they going to escape? That's all in this. So this is kind of like a blockbuster song. So let's, let's look at it. If the Lord is not on our side, then what's going to happen? Well, the first thing I want you to think about in this song is this. Who is the enemy that's coming against us? Who's the enemy that was coming against them? Who is the enemy coming to get against us? And I want to tell you, there's, there's, the answer to that is specific, general, and ultimately it's very uh, specific on one person. So let's take a look at specifically, the enemy's not identified. The enemy's not divided. We, we, we have no way of knowing in this song. It, it was a song of David, and you could go to any numerous points in his life and say, oh, it's this time when the Philistines had him. Oh, it's this time when Saul had him. The point is this. The enemy's not identified, which allows us to apply this song to our own unique situation. It allows you to plug in your conflict, your circumstances, your hopeless situation. And this is the beauty of the Psalms of Ascent. They're meant for everyone's journey. And so they're very short. They're very general. There's not a lot of historical background. But I'm telling you what, if you've journeyed with Christ very long, you can read that psalm and say, oh, I remember. I remember when that happened to me. I knew. I, I remember when I was in a hopeless, helpless situation. And if the Lord had not intervened, I'd be in trouble. So it, it, you can plug in your own unique situation. But generally, the enemy is this. Generally, the enemy is mankind. Mankind in its brutal and deadly opposition to God and His sojourning people. Look at verse 2 again. Had it not been the Lord who is on our side when men rose up against us. And you can circle men. In the Hebrew, that's, a, that's what they call a singular collective. Literally, it is when man rose up against me. When 
man, and it's, it's saying men in general. And, and, and so you want to think in terms of mankind in brutal, violent, deadly opposition to God and his people, to God and his presence, uh, his, uh, his, uh, God's presence among his people. So here's the idea. You want to think in terms of how does unbelieving people, how does mankind in rebellion to God respond to God's people pursuing God's purpose for their lives? Well, he gives us four word pictures, and it's not pretty. It's not pretty, but it's true. So here's four word pictures of the state of mankind in opposition to God and his purposes for his people. Number one, they're like a nefarious or a furious sea serpent. They're like a sea monster, a sea serpent, okay? That's in verse 3. Look in your Bibles, verse 3. It says, then they would have swallowed us alive. Now, when you take this word swallowed and trace it through Scripture, it's, all, it's, it's nearly always associated with the sea monsters, the sea creatures that God has created in the oceans. In fact, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And it says God created the great sea monsters, sea creatures, and every living creature that moves. Psalm 148 verse 7 says this, Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters or sea creatures and all the deeps. But as you trace this idea through scripture, sea creature, which is a mighty sea creature, literal sea creature, begins to represent a greater evil and a greater monster and a greater creature that can swallow up God's people. Listen to um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel says this, Son of man, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, son, in Ezekiel 29, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all of G- Egypt. And here's what I want you to say. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster, here's our word, the great monster that lies in the midst of the rivers, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. Here's the idea. This sea creature, this this sea monster in Scripture that we see, sometimes he's called Leviathan. We saw him in the book of Job when we studied Job. Rahab, he's sometimes called Rahab, sometimes called Leviathan. It represents demonic and human forces that are mighty, powerful, proudful, and setting themselves up, whether it's Pharaoh or whether it was David's enemies or whether it's enemies in your life that are opposing you because you're moving forward with God's people. The idea here is they're so powerful that they're ready to swallow us up alive. This word swallow up is used in the book of Jonah. What happened to Jonah? The great fish came and just swallowed him up alive. Now, in that case, God was protecting Jonah, right? He was disciplining Jonah. But here the idea is God's enemies, our enemies, are coming like a mighty monster. And all of a sudden, one minute we're going to feel secure and safe, and suddenly we're going to be swallowed up. Isaiah 27.1 gives you this bigger idea. Look at Isaiah 27.1. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan. And listen to his description. 
the fleeing serpent with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. So dragon, creature, monster, sea, it's all in that idea. And the next word picture tells us we're on the right track of talking about a sea monster because look at the next picture. They are like a perilous, raging flood. They are like a perilous, raging flood. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Can you hear the desperation? Can you hear the deadly the threat to life, the, 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 you can almost hear the gurgling of them drowning, swept away. And the focus here is on water as a deadly force. It engulfs gulshing, coming over, and then it drowns us. Uh, two times it says, over our soul. That's the word for our entire lives, our life, our, our, our heads. We're in over our heads. You ever felt in over your head in life? All right, that's the idea. The idea is a flash flood. Now you say, I thought these guys are traveling in the desert. They are, but one of the most dangerous places for floods is the desert. Why? Because you have flash floods. Any of you have that ridiculous warning on your cell phone uh, whenever Clay County or Gladstone, it seems like Gladstone is always under a threat of a flash flood. Oh, man, something serious. Oh, flash flooding. Okay. Well, for somebody, that's serious. Somebody can be drowned. And here's the sad reality. Whether it's down at Brush Creek or other places in our, in our city, when those flash floods come, kids lose their lives because you think, oh, I can go in there. It'll be okay. I remember traveling with my dad who made a very foolish decision one time to go across a bridge where a lot of people were not going across, but Dad, you know, he's going to go. And I was young enough to not understand the danger, except I was old enough to know that those cows that are being swept along in front of us as we go over, this is not good. And now I'm an adult, and I can look back and say, if the Lord had not been on our side, then we would have been swept away. And I can only think to tell my daughter, who just got her license this week, do not, do not go through water. Do not go through water. Because suddenly, suddenly you can be engulfed. And suddenly you're helpless. And how many times have we seen on the news of men, women on car tops, and they are helpless. And it is desperate. That's the picture you got here. That is the picture you have. Third word picture. They are like... Mankind in opposition to God and His people, they are like a ravenous, wild animal. They are like a ravenous, wild animal. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. David has seen his share of ravenous lions and probably leopards and who knows what all's in the deserts of the Middle East, but definitely lions stalking his sheep as prey and suddenly pouncing. And let me tell you, when they pounce, what do they do? They tear apart. Uh, you know, I, you just, I, I mean, you know, now you can watch cable where you, you, you just see it and it's bloody and it's messy. And, and that beautiful, cute little lion is this savage beast tearing people apart. Listen to Psalm 7, Psalm 7, verses 1 through 2. 
Here's David. O Lord, my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. That's the idea. That's the idea. Being stalked by a mighty lion who suddenly pounces and overwhelms, overpowers, and starts ripping apart the prey. Fourth and final picture. Mankind in opposition to God and His people. They are like a devious, cunning trapper. They are like a devious, cunning trapper. Look at verse 7. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. Here the picture is being suddenly trapped by a net. Uh, Most likely uh, this word is associated most with what they call fowlers. These are simply people that trap birds for a living. And they would lay a big net and put a little food out there and the unsuspecting bird would land and eat and suddenly the trap would be sprung and the net would fly over them in the air so they couldn't fly away and they're caught. And there's no escape. No escape. Man, there's so many passages in the Psalms that talk about trapping and snare. Because why? This is how these guys got their food. How did David eat when he's out shepherding? Set traps. He knew what it was. And he also knew what it was to have people try to set traps. And there's nothing more discouraging. There's nothing more depressing. There's nothing that makes you feel more hopeless than when, whether it's people in power or people that are close to you, that you you thought you could trust when they set traps to entrap you, to blame you, to attack you. That's the idea. Now, that's pretty gruesome, and that's focused on mankind. That's in the heart of the unbelieving. But ultimately, ultimately, who's the enemy? The enemy is always our adversary, the devil. The enemy is always the adversary, our devil. Our adversary, the devil himself. Our greatest enemy. Listen, when you have people opposing you, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the workplace, at school, whether it's even at church, if you have people opposing you, the number one thing as a believer you want to remember is it's not people that's my problem. Right? Ephesians 6. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Ultimately, it's not these people. That's my problem. My enemy is not other believers who are acting selfishly or disobediently. It's not unbelievers that are being aggressive and acting out. Ultimately, our greatest enemy is the devil. Look at Ephesians 6. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes. We're going to look at that. The schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood, but against what? The rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. He just keeps piling, 
piling, piling. And as he piles, he goes higher and higher and higher. And you feel more helpless and more out of control. And if you didn't notice, in these four word pictures, they're all used of the devil in the New Testament and and even the Old Testament. As you move through the Bible, the point is, when when, when mankind is opposing God, there's always a power behind them. There's a power behind the throne. And it's not the king's wife. It's the devil. Okay? And here's the idea. What is the devil and his de- demonic forces are like? Well, they're like a nefarious, wicked, furious sea serpent. They're like that perilous, raging flood. They're like that ravenous animal. They're like that devious trapper. And I've given you verses. You can look those up. Every one of those verses takes every one of those word pictures and nails it to Satan. In fact, one of the most important passages is he, uh, Revelation 12. You can go from the beginning where the devil is called the serpent to Revelation where he's a serpent, a dragon, and he's a beast coming up out of the sea. And you see that he is a furious, deadly serpent, dragon, beast, creature, that is dead set on destroying Israel as God's promised people and anybody that follow Jesus. He, in fact, in Revelation twelve fifteen, it says, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, representing Israel, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Now, more than likely, the, the, the river is an army of people going against Israel. And God, like he did in the Old Testament, had an earthquake and opened up the earth, and the army fell in as God intervened to help. But the idea is the devil's always behind there. And, and don't we all know 1 Peter 5, 8? Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a what? A roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. And that Greek word devour means to swallow whole. So all these word pictures are overlapping and, and they're all focused on the devil. And of course, he's a cunning trapper with his schemes. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. I want you to look at one particular passage. There's many I've given you. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. 24 through 26. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. Because I want you to see, why does the devil, why is he trying to destroy God's people? What's he wanting to do with God's people? And why does he motivate unbelieving people to do what they do? in opposing God's people. The answer is in this verse. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. The Lord's bondservant, the Lord's slave, us as his people, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Well, what's the state of those that are opposing God and his people? If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And here's verse 26. Here's their condition. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, 
having been held captive by him to do his will. Here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to capture people and hold them to do his will so they can't do whose will? God's will. And if you're a believer, Satan can't capture you to do his will, but he can distract you, he can deceive you, he can overwhelm you, and he can try to destroy your testimony so that you don't do God's will. And that kind of brings us to the, the next thing in your notes. Why is the enemy coming against us? Why does the devil want to do this? The reason he moves people against us, the reason he moves against us, is for being faithful to the Lord. Listen, David's in trouble not because he's sinning, it's because he's not sinning. David's in trouble not because he's an apathetic Christian or a follower of Yahweh. He's in trouble. The enemy is moving against him because he's on his journey to joy and the devil wants to interrupt that. Are you with me? That's the bigger picture. And, and he, in other words, when you keep your eye on the prize of the Lord Jesus Christ, people are going to oppose that. You exalt Jesus in our culture, and they're going to oppose that. And I mean exalt Him as He's revealed in Scripture, not their concept of Him. You know, Jesus meek and mild, Jesus who loves everybody and has no anger or wrath or judgment is acceptable. But you, when you start exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, the Deliverer King, the coming Judge, then all of a sudden there's opposition. It's opposed to him. Secondly, we're opposed for making progress in going further up and further in. We're headed towards a destination and the devil wants to stop your progress. And so if you're making progress, you're going to have this threat that comes against you. So don't be surprised and don't mistake people for the real problem. The problem is the devil's coming against you. So what if the Lord was not on their side? This brings us back to the reason the, the, these first uh, five verses, these word pictures. So what if the Lord was not on their side? Then, or on our side, then we would have been swallowed up. We would have been swallowed up by the chaos monster, the dragon, the serpent, the devil himself. One minute we'd feel okay, and the next minute all of a sudden we're in the belly of this monster and we're toast. And spiritually, if God, listen, if God had not intervened in our lives, spiritually, the devil would have swallowed us up in all of his furious rage. Don't ever forget that. Secondly, then we would have been swept away, swept away and drowned by the raging flood. Again, one minute you're okay, then all of a sudden in the wadis of the desert, the, the summer rain comes in, and all of a sudden you're in this little canyon and you're traveling, and boosh! All of a sudden, you're, you're toast. You're, you're in over your head. Spiritually, we would have been swept away by our lusts and sinful desires. Then we would have been torn apart by, a, by the wild animal. We would have been torn apart. Man, how many times can I think through my life, and maybe you can too. You think through your life, and you think of when you were tempted, and if the Lord hadn't helped you to resist that temptation, how your life would have been ripped apart. You think back of decisions you have made, but the Lord intervened. 
And you think back now with perspective and you go, man, the consequences. If, I, if, the, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, I'd been torn apart. My life would have been ripped. My marriage would have been ripped apart. My family would have been ripped apart. My testimony at work would have been ripped apart. Then, fourth, then we would have been forever entrapped. Forever entrapped by the scheming trapper. Forever entrapped. All of a sudden, you're walking along and boom, the net flies over you. You're caught. You can't fly away. There's no escape. Listen, if the Lord had not intervened in your life and mine, we would be in bondage to sin with no escape of everlasting condemnation. Can I hear a shout? Is this not good news? Is this not good news? If the Lord had not been on our side, if the Lord hadn't intervened, wow. So that's the if then. And right now, I, I, we should just pause and consider exactly what have ha- would have happened in our lives if the Lord hadn't intervened. Some of you, he intervened early. Some of you, he intervened later in life. But if the Lord had not intervened, we would have been swept away, torn apart, swallowed up, and entrapped forever in eternal condemnation. Can we give a shout to the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's exactly what the rest of the psalm is about. The reality is this. But the Lord is on our side. But the Lord is on side. That's what would happen if he hadn't been. But he is on our side. Therefore, we should make a public declaration for everyone to hear. This is what this psalm's really all about. Look at verse uh, verse 2. He says, he start, or actually verse 1, he starts out, he says, Had the Lord not been on his side, then he stops and he says, Wait a minute, let all of Israel declare. Let all of Israel sing. Let all of Israel shout. And then he starts again with everybody joining in. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side. So this whole psalm should lead us to a loud public declaration that if it hadn't been for the Lord, I'd been toast. But the Lord was there and he intervened. And so I want to publicly praise him. And that's why in verse 6 it says, Blessed be the Lord. One translation of that is, The Lord deserves to be praised. He deserves to be praised. So in a very real sense, we're to say it, we're to sing it, and we're to shout it out loud. But what is it that we're to declare? Well, you can very, it comes down to three very basic things, but they're powerful declarations. Here's the first one. We declare that the Lord has already delivered us from total destruction. We declare that the Lord has already delivered us from total destruction. You see, we can move through this psalm and see a basic outline of everybody who's here today. If you're born again this morning, I don't assume. I don't assume. That's something you need to determine before the Lord. But every person that's here this morning that's born again has this testimony of if, then, but, therefore. If the Lord had not awakened my heart to my sin, if the Lord had not convicted me of the path I was on, If the Lord had not brought someone 
bringing the gospel to me. If the Lord had not prompted one of his people to invite me to church, if that had not happened, then my life would have been utterly destroyed. That's the first part of your testimony. Then you have the pivot. But the Lord did intervene. The Lord did bring someone. The Lord did move on my heart. The Lord did bring the gospel. And then you move into the third part. Therefore, here's how my life has changed. Here's how the Lord enabled me to live a free life. Not a perfect life, but free from the power of sin. Do you see that? This is what we declare. The Lord's already delivered me. So I don't know what's going to happen today, much less tomorrow. And there could be some great tragedy. There could be some great enemies that come against me and you. But here's what I know. The Lord's already delivered me from all of it. Nothing can happen to me. Nothing can happen to you if you're a believer that can utterly destroy you. You've already been delivered. Therefore, we with Paul can say, He has delivered us in the past. He is delivering us in the present. And He will one day on our journey to joy ultimately deliver us. So that's the first declaration. I've already been delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ from total destruction. Amen? Good thing to declare. Second declaration. We can declare that the Lord has totally delivered us and not ourselves. We can declare that it's the Lord that delivered us and not ourselves. Look at verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord deserves the praise. Why? The one who delivers deserves the praise. And when it comes to true salvation, the one who delivers, it's the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord, not of ourselves. Therefore, who gets all the praise? The Lord. The Lord. Now, look, at, look again, 6 and 7. Who has not given us. In other words, it's the Lord that intervened. He's the one that made sure they didn't tear us apart. And then, look, I love the last part of verse 7. The snare is broken and we have escaped. The point is this. If God doesn't break the snare, if God doesn't break our bondage, if God doesn't break our chains, we're trapped. Isn't that cool? It's the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. We declare that the Lord has totally delivered us. It's not ourselves. It's by His grace and grace alone through the Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has set me free. Third declaration. We declare our total dependency on the Lord and no one else for deliverance. We declare total dependency on the Lord and no one else for deliverance. Look at verse 8. Here's how it ends. I was freed from total destruction. He is the one that totally delivered me. But here's what I end with. Our help, and, and there's that word. We've seen this in the previous songs. Help can mean, is a synonym for deliverance. Our help, our deliverance, is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. By the way, he made the sea creature. He made the lion. He made the people. He made even the devil. Okay? So there's nothing that's coming against us. There's nothing that's got us entrapped that the Lord didn't first make. 
He didn't intend it for evil, but he made it. And because he made it, guess what? He's more powerful. Maker of heaven and earth. Maybe this afternoon you would want to read Psalm 56. There's so many declarations of this kind of dependency in the Psalms. But Psalm 56 is a great psalm that declares, My total dependency is on the Lord. And I'll just read a portion of it. Listen to what David says. It was when the Philistines seized him in Gath. He was surrounded. He was entrapped. There was no escape. And he says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? He shows on, In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do? Do to me. For you, speaking of Yahweh, you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so I may walk before God in the light of the living. Wow, dependency. Dependency, total dependency on the Lord. Because here's the thing you can get yourself out of a lot of problems, but eventually we all face problems that we're powerless against. And the biggest thing that nobody can fix is the sin problem. Now, let's end with the application. The most important question you can ask this morning is, how do I know if the Lord is on my side? (laughs) Who gets to claim this psalm? Who gets to claim these verses? How do I know That the Lord, you can't ask a more important question because listen, not everyone gets to claim this song. Not everyone has this testimony. So how can you individually and I, myself, know that the Lord is on my side? And I've given you uh, several ways to know. The first way is dedication. Settle the question of whether you're on the Lord's side or not. See, here's the issue. The Lord is on your side when you are first on his side. Does that make sense? In other words, let me take you to Joshua. Go to Joshua 5. Joshua 5. I couldn't help but think of this passage when you talk about the Lord being on our side. Well, the Lord's on my side. Really? How do you know that? Well, because I said so. Yeah, but what does he say? Look at Joshua 5. Look at verses 13 through 15. Joshua is the commander of God's people. They've crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, but they've got the city of Jericho to take. So Joshua is in full warrior mode. He's got his sword. He's ready. He's ready to attack. And here's what happens. Verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? What's he saying? Are you on my side or their side? Are you on my side or their side? And if he says my side, then I'll let you live. If you're on their side, I'm going to stick it to you. Look at what he says. He said, No. There's a third option here, and you have forgotten it. Rather, indeed, I come 
now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua got it and fell on his face to the earth. And he bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? Isn't that beautiful? Hey, whose side are you on? Mine or theirs? Oh, whoops. I'm sorry. Okay, what? What? I figured out who you are now. I'm on your side. It's, there's only one side and it's your side. I'm a slave. I'm a servant. I'm your soldier. What do you want me to do? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Off with your head! I can't stand you! No, he says, look, that's the right response, my friend. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. In other words, Joshua, you have nothing to bring. You have no holiness. You have no right. You have no power. Just take your shoes off and bow down and acknowledge. And Joshua did that. And Joshua destroyed the enemy now here's the idea salvation and dedication is how you know that the lord is on your side when you repent and accept the gospel and when you receive him as lord and savior and you take your shoes off spiritually speaking and bow before him guess what you join his side and now he's on your side amen And that takes ongoing dedication. Joshua is already a believer here, but he needed to be reminded, the battle's mine, Joshua. This is about my name, not your fame. Secondly, connection. Once you have settled the issues of salvation and dedicating your life, the issue is strive to know the Lord in a deeper way according to His name. If our deliverance is in the name of the Lord, that's who He is. Then learn about who He is and that you do that by being here today. You've learned more about the Lord's name, I hope. Be in the Word during the week, praying. Get in a grow group. Consistently attend and worship and grow together. Get discipled, whatever it is, but grow in your connection. Third, meditation. Stay focused on the promises of God. Psalm 124 is something to memorize. It's something to meditate on. The way we declare God's goodness is repeating His promises of help and deliverance back to Him. Romans 8. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? And you just go all the way down through Romans 8. And that's just a declaration. That's a meditation. Marinate in it until what boils, uh, bubbles up in your soul is a declaration of praise. Fourth, reflection. I would challenge you, as I was through this psalm, spend time reflecting on how the Lord has delivered to you in the past, considering the consequences if he had not done so. Jesus said, the person who has forgiven little, loves little. The person who has forgiven much, loves much. And here's the problem. We forget how much we've been forgiven. We forget how much we've been delivered from. So I've given you a little, this is the pattern of the psalm. So look in your notes. If the Lord had not been on my side or our side as a marriage, as a family, as a church, if the Lord had not been on our side, then describe the need for deliverance. You know, describe the monster that was after you, the trap that you were in, the animals that were tearing at you. Then I, we would have, and then describe the consequences. 
how you would have been swallowed up, how you would have been torn apart, how you wouldn't have survived. And I'm telling you, what comes out of you is a a spirit of gratitude, amen? And a humility that says, you know what? I'm not the guy in control of my life. The Lord is. And if it hadn't been for Him, I'd be toast. So, reflection. And by the way, just throw this out very quickly. That's the purpose of the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to reflect back and say, if the Lord had not been crucified, if His blood hadn't been shed, if His body hadn't been broken, then I'd be condemned. But bless God, He did. And so, participate. You know, it blows my mind, and, and, and I'm not talking so much about our church. I'm just talking about Bible-believing churches in general, how the people of God can take so lightly the Lord's Supper. Some churches have them in the evening, and they have thousands in the morning, hundreds in the evening. That's not good, okay? That's not good. So when we have the Lord's Supper, we come and we realize, man, if not, if not, then What? Right? Amen? And then celebration. Make it a habit to publicly praise the Lord whenever He delivers you. So again, I gave you a format right out of this psalm. The Lord delivers my, the Lord deserves my, our praise because He was on my, our side. And here's how He delivered me or us. And then you describe how He delivered Him and what attributes He showed. Oh, He was so gracious. Oh, He was so holy. His holiness came upon me. I was convicted of my secret sin and I confessed it. Oh, I praise Him for delivering me. Amen? And then finally, declaration. So we'll end with this. Say, sing, shout exactly who it is that you depend on. So take that phrase. You all have your notes. Let's repeat it three times and let's shout it to the Lord. Amen? Can we get loud? Let's get so loud that... You know, the rest of the church is like, what in the world has gone on in the new life class? Are you ready? Let's go. Our deliverance is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our deliverance is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our deliverance is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Yeah, let's shout. Okay, we'll get a little African praise going. Let's go. Man, let's get excited. This is our God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Good stuff. Take it with you today. Take it with you through the week. Father, we come and we declare our praise. We've done it. You're great. You're mighty. If not, if not, then what? Total destruction. Total bondage. Eternal condemnation. But Lord, you broke the trapper's snare. You set us free. You slayed the dragon. You killed the lion. You have conquered and rose again. And therefore, our dependency, not only for our eternal salvation, which is huge, but these daily battles, these daily problems, you are the one we depend on to deliver us. And I pray if anyone doesn't know you, and is not sure of their salvation, confident that if they died, they would enter into your presence without condemnation and clothed in your righteousness, then today they would just cry out and say, Lord, be my deliverer through the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Be encouraged.